Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. Well, welcome everybody to the Full Scale Outdoors Podcast. I'm Dale Luganbill. Thank you for joining and downloading and playing and all that. Happy horse shit. All right. <laughs> Feeling squirrely today. Um, you know what? Here's the deal. Here's a weekend recap and rant. And uh, got something to admit. And you know, you're technically not supposed to do this as a uh, quote-unquote broadcaster or podcaster. Um, you know, you, you just blow on through as if it's like the first time somebody's ever listened to the show and i'm sure uh well at least i hope that maybe this episode is the first time somebody listens to this show however so i'm going to admit something you didn't get a weekend recap and rant even last week even after i like made a post about it because last weekend was pretty damn epic and i meant to wednesday roll around and Wednesday, Jesus, uh, Monday rolled around, and I was just spent. I, I was like, I sat there and I looked at my podcast equipment, and I was like, man, I really should do this, and I just couldn't. I had to like decompress. Like it was, uh, I don't, know, I guess, emotional in a way, but like in the best way. And now I'm on the heels of another really good weekend. So I figure let's just back up and we'll, we'll make up for last week and we'll go into this week and then, uh, you know, I'll give you a rant. So last week was the event that, uh, speaking for myself, and I know that I speak for, <laughs> I feel confident that I can speak for all the other volunteers for this said event that this is one of, if not the event, that we look forward to the most as it comes to like tournament uh, ice fishing. And I wasn't even fishing the league this year uh, because moving up here to almost Canada and all that. And my partner Joel was, you know, he bought a new house and wasn't sure where he was going to be and how that would work with the tournament and blah, blah, blah. So we decided to take this uh, year off. That being said, I've been, I think, at most of the events anyways, or at least helping out with the Future Anglers events, which happen, those on-ice clinics are the day before our event on the same lake that the event is on, usually. So I was still involved in that. 
So for me, <laughs> I, was, I probably still could have fished it. The problem with it, it comes in is the uh, scouting and pre-fishing. I wouldn't really have had the freedom to do that. So how competitive would I have been? Mm, probably not very. Um, so anyways, um, the event I'm talking about is the annual Hometown Hero Outdoor Minnesota Made Outdoors event. Uh, what do we call the Home of the Brave, I believe we call it. Um, tournament and it's just awesome they get um, all sorts of hho members together teams of two and then volunteers from minnesota made come out and uh, each person has a team of two and we guide them and, and we don't fish they fish and it's pretty damn awesome and it's very rewarding it was our way of giving back uh to the community if you will you know um how this whole thing came about and this is such a weird dynamic that um, Tony brought it up to me. Tony Testing was the founder of HHO. You know, he, he came up to me and he just thanked me that, like, because of me, this thing happened. And I'm always like, what? I didn't do anything. But then I was like, oh, yeah, I guess in a roundabout way, it is. Um, for those that aren't familiar with the back story, I'll give you the origin story of, of this event. And so I had had the very first, I think it was the first one. It was one of the first uh, flight companions that I ever put out. And I did it at uh, Bigwood Brewery. And Doug Glimmerbean was there. Tony Te or uh, Tony Dahlberg was there. Well, and Tony Testing was there. But he was just there as a, you know, and I had kind of made an announcement like, hey, anybody wants to come out and hang out and, you know, listen to his podcast and, come on out well tony was pretty much the only one that came out and so whatever we, we were going it was a ton of fun and then we got to talk to him we kind of, i think we invited him on the microphone man i should go back and listen to that one i should drag that one up i bet that would be fascinating to listen to now i'm like four years in 300 or whatever the freaking episodes i have now like that would be that would be interesting um it's also where uh doug uh, went down in fishing uh, immortality, if you will, <laughs> by <laughs> saying of keep your fucking carp, as we were talking about shooting carp in Minnetonka and all the homo or Lakeshore Association or homo, whatever they're called. It was like put a ban on bow fishing because they didn't like the lights shining up in their windows and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, he went on this epic rant to the point where he ended up making shirts that said that at one point in time. <laughs> uh, hilarious. So anyways, uh, that's kind of the origin story. And well, through that, that was a terrible origin story. Man, my brain is all over the place, and I apologize. Just try to stay with me. <laughs> I should have had a beer before I did this. Um, so that happened, you know, and after meeting Tony, and, and he very nonchalantly in passing was like, Oh, I founded this thing called Hometown Hero Outdoors. And as he got in, I was like, Wait, what? What? what, what, what hold, hold, hold the phone here. What, what, what are you saying to me? And so he has this whole outdoors nonprofit that he had, gets vets and active military and law enforcement, and he gets them into the outdoors. And I was like, holy crap, dude, you should be like a guest. Like you actually have something to talk about. You're not just a dude listening to the show, listening to the podcast. And, uh, and then it was shortly after that, I mean, it was right around that time that um, Jake and Paul from Minnesota Made were, you know, they're kind of brainstorming. They're, they they the league had grown to a certain level. They started, they wanted to start kind of giving back and doing something more. And uh, Jake just mentioned to me, hey, you, you have the contact for that hometown hero guy you had on the podcast? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So then they just started talking. And then the next thing you know, this thing, uh, this event happens. We have our very first one, and I volunteer for it. And, and then just... Then it became a thing, and then it was just a thing. So I didn't do any of the organizing of it. All I did was introduce these people. I mean, that like that was it. And so I didn't really put that much weight into it. But um, it was, it's quite humbling, and, and I'm well. I'm very thankful to call Tony Testing my friend, a very good friend, and um, you know, for him to come up to me. He's a vet. I must. I never served in any military. Uh, have not served <laughs> in any capacity, really. Um, 
you know, but it, he thanked me. You could tell that it was heartfelt and meant something to him. And it's just very rewarding for me to play a small role into something that has grown quite large and impacts so many people's lives in a phenomenally positive way that it's just, it's such a fun event. Everybody is just so happy and thankful. And I remember after the first event where my team, HHO members came up and they just like profusely thanked me for helping them and you know, catch fish and do whatever and guide them. And I was just like, it was a weird position for me. Cause I was, you know, I was like, wait, wait, hold, like, stop thanking me. This is me thanking you. This is the whole point <laughs> is for us to give back. There'd be, there'd be no thanking of me. <laughs> it was a weird, never really been in that situation. Uh, I understand it now a little bit better from their point of view and talking, having some deep conversations with Tony and, and you know, the vets that I take out and the law enforcement personnel. And, and it's just a ton of fun. So there, there's the origin story. And so this, we had ours. That event was um, a week ago this past Saturday ton of fun the weather oh my god the weather was phenomenal um, especially compared to last year last year it was like 25 below zero it's crazy cold we thought about canceling it and i'm so glad that we didn't because these troopers were troopers i mean they they stuck it out it was awesome but this year oh man the weather was just fire sun was shining it was warm there wasn't that much much wind a little breeze kind of kicked up in the afternoon but wasn't that bad you know we didn't you know we put up huts but i don't think anybody fished in a shack that day like we were just all out hole hopping around absolutely phenomenal bunch of fish were caught just just an unbelievable fantastic day like it just it was so much fun and so after that was over, um, then I went to just Joel was there. You know, he came out and we're like, let's go catch some perch. And we had found this perch. So two years ago, we um, fished that uh, an event up there, Minnesota Made event on West Rush. That was the lake that this was on. And in our searching and pre-fishing for the tournament, we had found these uh, perch spots. They didn't have any bluegills or crappies on them so they didn't really help us in the tournament but it's like made a mental note that and it was the average size was starting to get decent and by decent i mean like eight nine inches you know nothing like crazy huge um, but there were so so many of them and so i thought man this this fishery is going to be good for perch eventually so two years later as we got to go check this out so went and uh, we did that the perch were still there, and they were just crazy aggressive. I mean, if you felt a bite, you set the hook. They already had it swallowed a lot of times. Like the the the, the hemostats were coming out. Like I, it destroyed my um, the treble on my pinhead minnow lure that I was using. Like it was ridiculous, and I uh, caught some small walleyes. And I know I'd mark some bigger walleyes because you'd get that big mark that would come in and you could see it was kind of like separated. It's going to be really hard to describe this on, you know, audio only. But as that mark comes in, it's got other little lighter things that kind of flicker around at the little colors. But and you can tell that those are the fins that are moving. And you really only see that like on, on bigger fish, that kind of separation. And I was like, oh, they're marking some decent fish on there. They've got to be walleyes, you know, because they just they wouldn't come off the bottom as much as the perch. I mean, the perch, ridiculous. We're fishing in like 10, 11 feet of water, and you couldn't get your line halfway down the hole. They're only five feet, and those things are just shooting straight up like a rocket and just annihilating it. Oh, my God, it was so much fun. So much fun. And even kept a couple that were big enough. And so I'm curious to – know what like the growth rate like the normal growth rate on a perch is i should do some looking into that because kind of figured they'd be a little bit bigger average size from two years ago and it was the average size was bigger but we were still weren't talking about like 11 12s or even 10s 11s like these were nines you know mostly right in that nine you know maybe a couple touching 10 um 
I thought they'd be bigger. But so, again, maybe in two more years, that lake will be full of 11 and 12s. I don't know. We'll see how – I don't know what the growth rate is. But the population, numbers-wise, is very healthy, very healthy. Um, so we fished till dark, uh, made my way to the Grumpy Minnow, and met up with all the other Minnesota-made people. And uh, had some food, had some drinks, uh, just a ton of fun hanging with those people and um, ah, just salt of the earth people. I just, I love it, love it so much. So the next day is the actual Minnesota Made event. So I went down there, got ready for them to take off just to be there, you know, just to say hi to teams I haven't seen since last year because I hadn't, I wasn't fishing the event. And uh, once they took off, I took off too to go pick on some more perch <laughs> like why not what else do i got to do i got the the free day you know well later that afternoon or i should say morning actually i had to uh we had a bass our first bass club meeting uh for loon state bass masters for the year at 11 o'clock which was just a and then bradford which is like i don't know 30 minutes away so I was going to fish the morning, head over there, do that, and then try to get back and help out with weigh-in. Um, <clears throat> I didn't quite make it back in time of that. But before we get to that, so I decided to go and have some more fun with those perch. Oh, backing up. <laughs> I've never seen this. I, I, it's been It's gotten close a few times, but I've never actually witnessed this. There was an eagle nearby that just kept circling us. And coming down, we had perch on the ice that we were keeping. And he was kind of swooping down, but never got brave enough to actually grab one. So I, I take a smaller one, one that got gilled, wasn't going to survive anyways if we released it. I didn't really want to flay it. So I went and I kind of threw it out a ways, you know, for the eagle to see if he'd take it. And he kind of swooped down on it once when he, I think he lost it, kind of fell into a kind of a, a snowbank. So I went and I picked it up and I walked way away and put it in a spot where he could see it really good and then left it alone, thinking he'd come back and get it. Well, he never did. Never got that one. But as we moved around and kept chasing these perch, we apparently we got far enough away from our pile that this eagle started coming down and snatching perch off the ice. You know, I could have went and got him at that point. And I had collected some and put them in a bucket earlier. So it wasn't like I was going home empty-handed, but it was just kind of – I was having fun watching this guy. Well, the only pile he didn't take – from was we had one small pile that was probably i don't know uh 30 40 yards from where we we're at Matt, probably right around 30 and <laughs> everything beyond that he took every last one of them except for the one i purposely laid out <laughs> i don't know what the heck that was about because i still that that perch was still on the ice frozen he never touched it even the second day second morning nothing Wanted no piece of it. I was like, that's just crazy. And then, um, so yeah, I headed out and uh, catch some more perch. And right away, first hold, yep, they're still here. And they were even, they are even, I don't know, they might have been the same level of aggressiveness, but they were schooled up more. So the day before, you kind of had to move, you know, you'd pick like two, three, four out of one hold, then that school would move on. You have to hop over a couple holes and boom, you're right back into them. This one, I think I fished two holes, like, all morning long. Like, it was just, like, constant set in the hook, just pinwheel and perch, pinwheel and perch. So I caught, like, three or four of them right away, and uh, I'm using my schoolie. And all of a sudden, you know, I get a, get a mark, jig up, tap, set the hook, whoa, just hooked into a monster, like, legit monster. I was like, oh, that ain't a perch. And this thing takes off. My first instinct is probably a pike, you know. And it's running, and I've caught multiple pike on using a small, you know, jig and plastic that you're using for panfish, for whatever. I don't know why they eat those things, but for some reason they do. But this wasn't doing those big, long, like, crazy pike runs. It was, like, just more uh, dogged, I don't know, bigger head shakes. It was different. And, and so this thing's running. And uh, I'm gaining a little bit of ground. Then he peels off a bunch more line. And finally, he's starting to kind of tire out. Now keep in mind, there's no backbone to this rod at all. This is a tight line rod. It's fiberglass. It bends all the way to the handle. Um, it, 
this is not meant for big game. Like, <laughs> this is not what this is meant for. And I'm pretty sure I have either two or three pound test on this rod. So I can't horse it. I'm also using a six inch hole. All these things are conspiring against me. I also didn't really clean out that hole very well. There was a bunch of slush in there. Uh, I, I'm saying all this because it's going to lead to eventual heartbreak. Um, not to spoil it, but I did. Anyways, I'm fighting this thing back, and I'm starting to reel it. And, and to set the scene a little bit more, as I'm finally starting to gain ground, and I'm just pulling uh, somewhat dead weight, this thing is absolutely massive. Now, I've caught, you know, three, four-pound bass on this rod before. I've caught, you know, five, six-pound pike, maybe even bigger on this setup before. This was not that. This was so much heavier than that. And with the evidence of catching a couple small walleyes, being fairly confident that I marked walleyes the day before, and knowing that there are really big walleyes in that lake... I'm almost certain this would have been a PB walleye if I would have landed it. Probably in that 30-inch range, and I'm not exaggerating. Just the weight of this fish was... It's like in the summertime, if you go out and you, you catch a bass, and that thing buries into just an entire jungle, and you're pulling up the bottom, and you get you just got this like closed basket size uh, thing of dead milfoil just or live milfoil even just just a clump of weeds coming in with that fish that's what it felt like except there was no weeds it was just the fish and so i didn't know how much line i had gotten back um so i didn't know and i was like at one point in time i was half tempted to scoop out the hole so i could see down there better but i i couldn't really take my hand off the reel i had like this was a two-handed endeavor and i was out there by myself so I had no one to kind of help me. Otherwise, I would have had somebody clean the hole out and kind of look down there and, you know, tell me where that fish is or even what kind of fish it was or how close the ice was. What I was waiting for is usually when you get a bigger fish and they get towards the hole, the water in your hole start bouncing up and down, you know, as they start filling that hole. But probably only once their head kind of starts. Anyways, that's kind of what I was waiting for. I, did, I ne That never really happened. And so I was horsing him a little too much. And I think he was right at the top of the ice, or bottom of the ice, as it were. And all of a sudden, he, po he popped off. And I thought for sure he just broke the line. And I was like, oh, broke the line. And I lift my arm up just like, I don't know, six inches, and there's my jig. So he was, of course, it was probably more than six inches because there's a good 18 inches ice. Um, anyways, I, I didn't reel. I just lifted my hand up and the jig came up and I was like, oh no, I have a feeling that that hook popped just, you know, from the top of the ice or at the edge of the hole or something like that. It's like, oh. it's no guarantee, but had I known, had I seen him, I could have been a, a, maybe a little more careful. I don't know. And I don't even know if that thing would have fit up a six inch hole, honestly, like that, that was a big fish whatever it was and in my mind i was already doing the grip and grin i'm like if this is a 30 inch walleye this will be the most epic ice fishing walleye picture ever i can hold that thing up with my stupid little schoolie rod and my little, little plastic yellow reel and short little tiny rod like uh it have been hilarious but didn't happen and then I heard, like, Jake was coming out. So I'm like, dude, you got to come out and beat on these perch. Like, they're just, they're fired up. Bring bring Walker, his boy, out. He, like, I guarantee you he'll catch something. You could put almost a plain hook down there and, and catch fish. Like, they were just going insane. So he did. He came out there. I showed him the spot. We fished for a little bit. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap, I got to get going to that bass meeting. And I fished a little bit too long. I was late getting to the meeting. But, like, it was too much fun, like, having Walker there and, and I videoed him a few times, got some pictures of him catching those perch and just beaming. Like it was, you could tell he was having so much fun. Like what a great opportunity for a kid. Like don't have to be out in the cold very long. It's like pretty much show up, catch fish. Like it was that easy. Oh, so much fun. So then I had to tear off, went to the bass club meeting. So with my bass club, you know, we had a, a bunch of people for various reasons, uh, leave our club at the end of the season. 
Tom and Amy. Tom was president. Amy was secretary there. Going into a different chapter of their life uh, with their kids and different stuff. So they were stepping down. So we didn't have a president. We don't have a secretary. Um, uh, Cody was leaving. He was tournament director. Like, oh, my God, we're starting from scratch here with a half-empty field. So um, the only people at the meeting was Dana and the other Dale in our club, Dale Youngquist, who was like, uh, if I remember right, I just found this out. Like he was one of the original members of Loon State. Or very early on, anyways, um, when when he finally came back, uh, was it last? I think two years ago was his first year back. I'm pretty sure might have been last year. Ah, I don't matter. Anyways, doesn't matter. So what's us three? So we got to divvy up responsibilities here to keep this <laughs> keep this club going. You know, we shared some different ideas, and me living where I was at, I was like, man, I really just don't want any responsibilities if I'm being brutally honest. Um, but I also don't. I'm not just going to leave him hanging. So basically, uh, Dale Youngquist is going to be the treasurer. I'm going to be the new tournament director because then all I need to do is I'll, I'll be responsible for, you know, weigh-ins of the scale and baskets and the bags and all that stuff, which is fine. That As long as I don't pull a Luganville moment and, you know, drive four hours and forget all the equipment behind, I'll have to set reminders because that is a very real threat. Um <laughs> <laughs> not good um and we're measuring our fish today boys and girls and then uh we made dana president so and and apparently she's the first female president of a um minnesota bass nation club so that's pretty cool i mean that's not why <laughs> we we picked her which in my opinion makes it even cooler yet you know it, it's you know, not to get too political, but like what they do with the movies, you know, it's like they gotta gotta put this minority in this role and this minority in that role and switch whatever. We weren't we weren't electing a female just to elect a female. She filled the role. She was willing to take it on. I didn't want it. Dale didn't want it, and I know she'll do a great job. So she's it. She's the Madam President of Loon State Bassmasters. Congratulations, Dana Carlson. Um, so with that said, it was a good meeting. We shared a lot of, um, you know, we looked at this as a way to, as an opportunity that we can now, um, you know, we're going to build this club into a pretty awesome club. I think we're going to try some new stuff that we weren't doing as an old club. And honestly, to be, to be transparent, I want to model this club after Minnesota made, uh, so I'm very proud of that organization and the people that are in it. Those are the type of people I want to attract to at the club, and I want to hold it to those same standards. Whereas, like, listen, if you're if you're fishing for the money, this isn't this is not the club for you. Like, yeah, there's there's some money involved, but it's mostly the cool thing about this club because it's a, a BASS sanctioned club that you can win your way to the Bassmaster Classic, which is like every bass fisherman's ultimate dream, right? And so you don't have to go and spend literally thousands and thousands of dollars chasing these opens and trying to, to get in. You can just win your way up. You know, you win your club, you go or become state, you know, a ticket to the Tournament of Champions, you win that, or you get top 10, you go on to the Fish Regionals, and then from there, you know, you just keep winning your way up. And so it's very cool. And then we have side pots for big fish and big bag of the year and stuff like that. But I want to take that up a level, you know, and get some more sponsors, line some people up where we can, you know, and we always, you know, if you want a lake, whatever, um, we had like an end of the year meeting where the trophies were handed out. And that was kind of fun. We got to, you know, hang out and, and drink some beers and laugh and reminisce about the season. That stuff was cool. But I'd like to see, again, like we do in Minnesota Made and a lot of other tournament series do, is like you get that trophy, right? If you won that trophy, you're taking that trophy home. Also because I think it plays well with social media. And that fits in with your sponsors. You know, if you got somebody that's willing to step up and help you out, help your club out financially, like you can then go on Facebook Live and you can make those posts or you can hold it up and you can, you know, you can bring awareness to those companies and those products and, you know, really give them more bang for their buck for helping you out. So I want to do more of that. You know, we'll do a little live, you know, getting ready for, you know, takeoff and stuff like that. Um, and then definitely go live again 
at weigh-in, which I'll need some help because I'll, as director, I'll be weighing the fish. I'm going to need someone to hold cameras and, you know, we'll, we'll figure all that out. Um, but really, challenge number one is uh, recruitment. So I got a, a few buddies of mine that I reached out to to see if they want to join the club, and I think we'll get a handful of them. Super excited for that. And in a perfect world, we'd have an even number of boaters and non-boaters. So I want to put this out to my listeners. If you're in the North Metro area, you know, so technically Loon State's supposed to be out of a radius uh, from Mora. So we don't really adhere to that super, super strict, but that is, we do fish that zone. And then every year we fish, uh, two of our events are on the same lake or same waters that the TOC is going to be on that this year. That's leech. So just keep that in mind. There's, we are going to be traveling for um, one weekend. And the way we lay it out, we have six events. You score five of those events. You have one throwaway. And those are just three weekends. So Saturday is one lake, one event. Sunday is another lake, another event. So that's, you know, you're not burning your whole summer fishing this league. You're giving up three weekends. It's not giving up, but it's, it's going to take three weekends um, or, you know, five days. You don't, you can pick, if you can't make one, that's, that's kind of why we have the throwaway. If you can't make one, it's not costing you, you know, your points. Mostly for the people that fish it and they fish all of them, that just means they get a throwaway. So if you have a terrible event, you can toss that away. And I have used that a lot. <laughs> I used it last year. Last year I, I won Angle of the Year, but my first event absolute dog shit i think it was second to last like it was terrible terrible um so i was very happy to throw that one away very happy so anyways what i'm saying is if you have ever thought about fishing a tournament joining a club now is the time um i love our club like i really do um we you know friends first competitors second and we share information you know we're not going to give you gps coordinates but at the end of the day if something you know when we're at way and you ask me what worked and i want i'm going to tell you what i was doing you know exactly tell you where but i'll tell you what kind of water i was fishing and i might even tell you where i mean we're done with that lake moving on you know what i really like to see is loon state be represented well at the toc and so that's gonna you know we need to support each other as club members. You know, we can be competitive, but we don't need to be cutthroat. You know, we're not looking for the anglers that just because you have a faster boat and you don't have, you're not boat number one, let's say you're boat number five, but you have the fastest boat and you cut off boater number one because you're just faster. I don't want you to join my club. How about that? That's not my club, but I don't want you to join the club. That's not the kind of angler that we're looking for. Um, you can be competitive without being a douchebag and that's, you know, we're, we're adopting rule number one from Minnesota made. Don't be a douchebag. Uh, so yeah, that's what kind of, so if you're looking for that and if you don't have a boat, doesn't matter. We need non-boaters. We absolutely need non-boaters that, that would be fantastic. Um, and I wish I'd have known about this non-boater thing before I got a boat, I would have been in these clubs a long time ago. And I have left so much knowledge on the table by not taking advantage of this. If you want to, like, even if you're just getting into bass fishing, this is for you. You will learn so much so quickly because you're going to fish each event. You're going to fish with a different angler. You know, one of our, our kind of rules is you can't fish with the same boater twice. That way you don't have, you know, let's say, you got one guy that's absolutely crushing it, right? Well, if, if just by random luck of the draw, you got to be his non-boater every event, you know, it, it gives a little bit a little bit of an advantage there. You know, he's bringing you to prime spots maybe or showing you prime tactics or whatever. Um, so we make it so that you can't fish with the same boater twice in a season. Just mix it up. And, and that works better for you as a non-boater. You're going to learn more that way. And tons of fun, and you're going to make more friends. It's awesome. So if you're interested, uh, you can send me a message. I will point you in the right direction. Or go ahead and find Loon State Bassmasters on Facebook and send us a message, and we can go from there. 
let's uh, let's scroll this thing and turn this thing into the best bass club in the state. That's what I really want to see. Um, even if we're not the best as far as like victories at TOC or points in TOC, I want to become the envy of bass clubs as far as public image, as far as how people the loyalty to it um just the way you feel about it i want it to be very very well respected so when someone says you fish loon state you're like oh that's cool and they're gonna then know your character that's what i would like to see am i putting a little too much weight on it possibly but that's the goal that uh, i hope that we move towards that's what i'd like to see so i didn't even realize i was going to talk about that today but there it is it's almost a rant, but not really. We'll get to that. So that was, then I went back and, uh, yeah, I helped out. Um, I didn't really help out because I didn't get there in time to help out with weigh-in. But I did get to hang out, see the weigh-in, which is super fun. Um, and then um, did I fish anymore? I don't believe I did. I believe I just took off and um, headed back north. So very, very, very full weekend um, and just tons of fun. Yeah, and then that Monday I was just tapped out. So this past weekend, um, we had our last on-ice clinic at Clearwater Lake for future anglers of Minnesota. Again, weather, phenomenal. Uh, it filled all the spots. The fish were biting. At first I was like, I was concerned. It was Tony and I's, Tony Dahlberg and I's, uh, we were captains. It was our turn to find where we're going to set up. And at first we were looking right off the landing and it was like nothing but super small sunfish, like three, four inches. And they were being really picky. I'm like, oh, this is going to be tough. So I went off and I tried to find another area relatively close. And you know, no matter where I looked, I pretty much found the same thing as we found in. And then I see people starting to set up. I'm like, well, I better get back. So I get back and they start fishing and boom, we're, we're catching. And they're not even, you know, we are catching some tiny ones, but we're actually catching some decent ones. Like there was a few sunfish caught and like green sunfish and pumpkin seed sunfish and hybrids that I could see a team wanting in their bag, you know, <laughs> the next day. Like, holy crap. Like if I was fishing this event and it got desperate, I might fish this spot. Um, you have to weed through a bunch of little ones, but dang. I mean, they were, and they were snapping. And I think every kid caught fish. Some kids caught a crap ton of fish, and the weather was just phenomenal again. Like, just super hashtag blessed. Uh, but it, what it was, it was just so awesome. What a great way to go out. Um, every kid just goes away with so much stuff. You got, you know, clam steps up huge. You get buckets filled with lures, and it's just awesome. Um, gave away a ton of prizes, and there was like a big grand prize that we kind of gave away, and it was uh, an es- I think it was an Eskimo. It was a gas auger. You heard that correct. It was a gas auger, brand new. I didn't even know they made those things anymore. But uh, and they're heavy, bro. I <laughs> and the person that won it, uh, it was just awesome. Is their kids are out there and they caught fish. They're like they won rods and then they win this auger like they had when they left there they had from a, from a family that's never i don't think ever ice fished before definitely not on their own that family left that lake with all the tools they needed to go ice fishing how awesome is that super badass like that was so awesome and this lady, this mom, she's just a tiny little thing, and she's got all this stuff, and the kids are carrying all their prize winnings and their buckets and this heavy ass. I'm like, uh, let me carry that. So I carried it to, uh, I don't, I now just thought of this. Why didn't I, oh, I think I already loaded my four-wheeler up, or actually Joel's four-wheeler, because I borrowed Joel's four-wheeler, because mine, if you've been listening, is still stuck in the frozen tundra of northern Minnesota. So anyways, I used, I should have just used Joel's, yeah, I did put it away already. But whatever. Anyways, I carried this auger up to her vehicle. I'm like, dang, this, and it, like, had flashbacks of how it used to be, where, like, you'd walk for ways and your shoulder gets sore as you'd switch it to the other side. <laughs> like, that, that used to just be reality. Oh, my God. And it's, like, and I know there are still some gas augers out there, because you'll be out, and you'll hear one fire up, and you're like, what 
the hell is that noise? And then, yeah, then the memories all come flooding back. And I was talking about this, like, that's all you would hear on a busy day of ice fishing is all those augers going and drilling holes. And I actually have a hard time finding a memory of that because I think it was just so commonplace that your brain didn't think to remember it or, you know, file it away or, or do whatever. But it wasn't until after the um, cordless drill augers started taking off and, kind of, and and definitely have just become the norm. And then now when you hear an auger, a gas auger, you're like, what the heck? But I don't really remember, like I'm trying to conjure up that memory, and I, I, I don't I don't have it. I mean, full well knowing that's how it was. I just, like, I'm trying to recreate the scene in my head, and I just, it's just not there. My brain was like, mm, not doing it. So anyways, that was super cool. Kids were just so happy, just smiles around, got a bunch of great, great pictures. Um, if you don't already follow Feature Anglers of Minnesota on uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook, go do that. Um, you know, it helps us get the word out for the people. And it's just fun. It's, it's super rewarding to see these smiles on these kids' faces. And the weather, oh, can't stop talking about the weather. It was so good. So then the next day was the final uh, Minnesota Made event, which um, I wasn't fishing, obviously. But I did answer um, Stuart Manning was looking for a partner for the UPL, which was fishing on Lake Washington, which wasn't that far away. It's like 30, 35 minutes away down by uh, Darwin, Minnesota. And so I was like, I got nothing going on if you need somebody. And as it turned out, I was ended up uh, filling in for him. So my my day was pretty busy Saturday. So I tore down there first light pretty much on Saturday morning and got in some pre-fishing and scouting. And then, you know, I met Stuart there. He got there at about nine i think or 9 30 and so we were able to scout together a little bit but then i had to tear back to the fam event and then when the fam event was done when mostly all packed up then i headed back try to steal in a few more hours of daylight or minutes of daylight anyways to do some more scouting and pre-fishing and um, try to be competitive i did find some fish um don't know if they really stayed there or not. We didn't really have an opportunity to fish it the day of. So I was pretty jacked up to fish a, a tournament because I hadn't really got to fish a tournament this year. I mean, you count HHO, but I wasn't an angler. So um, it was fun. It was jacked. And it was super cool just to be part of UPL for a day, you know, for being in Minnesota Made. And it's like they're the other league. And a lot of similarities. And it was great. Everybody was friendly. Um, didn't work out for Stu and I. We just um, – just didn't make the right decisions at the right time. You know, it's kind of a community whole event, and both of us are kind of that mentality. We didn't really want to fish like that, and Stu had a spot that he had found crappies on before, so we hit that first. That didn't really pan out. Tried a second spot. That didn't really pan out, and then it was then at that point you're kind of like raised the white flag. We got to go fish with the community. Well, by that time, that bite had wore off. You know, at weigh-in, we find out after the fact that all the big crappies that were caught, all the crappies that were caught were caught in, like, the first hour, you know, or less. It was just pandemonium, apparently. Uh, so we missed out on that. And then the bluegills are super hard to get in that lake, and they're all super, super tiny. Getting a legal sunfish out of that lake was super tough. So we only ended up weighing in four very tiny bluegills. I think we were second to last. It was not great. But there were some absolute donkey crappies caught. Um, in fact, just doing some like quick figuring out uh, during weigh-in, uh, I think they discovered that three out of the top ten biggest crappies UPL history were weighed in that day. And we caught none of them, so that's super cool. But no, it was it was fun. Some really impressive weights. But another uh, record was broke that day too. It was the first event in UPL history where no team weighed in a full bag. That's how hard those bluegills were <laughs> to find. It was crazy. Um, but super fun event, and we didn't do that well. Sorry, Stu. I I tried. I did the the best I could on short notice. Um, but like you know. It needed a heartbeat. I at least could, uh, <laughs> at least I could volunteer that. But it was kind of fun dipping my toes in the UPL waters. I got a little, a little bit of a taste of that. Um, you know, the side by side 
comparison. Although I don't really feel like I can give a fair comparison as far as like if somebody's going to nail me down, like which one's better? Because I don't think one event really, you know, and I don't really have anything bad to say about UPL to to begin with, but um, to like, they're very similar in a lot of ways. I mean, this I think they're similar in more ways than they're not. You know, UPL and Minnesota made. Uh, Matt it crushes it. They're just very efficient. Matt Johnson from Clam, uh, just he crushes it. Like they just do a great job. And uh, how do you not like Matt? He's just super nice dude, super welcoming. Um, I don't, it was a ton of fun. And so yeah, once that was that was done, it's time to hit the road and make that long drive back to the North Country here. So that's another very 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 full weekend, uh, but just tons of fun tons of fun this coming weekend um i'll be at the northwest fishing show or sportsman show at the minneapolis convention center i'll be uh repping for relevant uh, i won't be at the relevant booth i'm gonna i'll be at a different um a different booth that i think well, they'll be selling relevance but they're um it's kind of a, a company that's getting out uh i don't know what you call them they're like a, a sales company i guess so there's gonna be other um companies in that same booth as well like norfin which i happen to staff for them too um you know vexlar i'm not technically in the vexlar staff but you know i i tag them i use i like their stuff um so through minnesota made i'm kind of a staffer for them as they're a sponsor so anyways that uh it's going to be fun. It'll be my first time as a vendor or working the Northwest Sportsman Show, so I'm pretty jacked up for that. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. The Kings of Panfish event is this weekend, which I there was a chance I might have fished that with Travis from Minnesota Made, but I didn't hear confirmation because if his partner was going to be able to do it or not, and then I agreed to do this kind of last-minute relevant thing. And then now it came, he just told me today, like, he could use my help. And I'm like, ah, I, I'm already committed to the relevant thing. It's would be a ton of fun to go to that tournament. I think that tournament's going to be really successful. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think some there's just some absolute hammers going to be out there. It's basically like the best of the best. I mean, the best of uh, UPL, I mean, the best of Minnesota May. There's going to be people come from Iowa. There's going to be people coming from Wisconsin. There's going to be people coming from all over the place because there's real money on the line for this one. So it's going to be it's going to be a ton of fun and real interesting to see how that one pans out this uh, upcoming weekend. But if you aren't fishing and you're going to the Northwest sh uh, fishing show, sportsman show, I keep calling it fishing show, sportsman show, try to track me down. Uh, I wish I had uh, better information. I don't have my notes which booth I was going to be at, but uh, just look for beard <laughs> and look for the relevant sign. I'm sure uh, you'll find me eventually. I'll be, I'll be there lurking around somewhere. But uh, so there, there's your recap. Two weekends of recap. What was I going to talk about for my rant? Um, oh, I was going to touch on like, global warming or climate change not going to get like too deep into the weeds with it but there uh nick j had posted a link on his snapchat if you don't follow uh nick johnson nick a johnson on snapchat you should because his snaps are awesome he posts and he posts a lot of links to the bird nerd stuff that he does um if you don't know nick and i uh do waterfall wednesdays <laughs> every week He's like my co-host for that, uh, and sometimes the host if I can't do one. Uh, but anyways, he had an article, and it talked about it was a climate change, but how uh, waterfowl are, it might have been other species too, but I'm pretty sure it was waterfowl, are, um, are adapting, and they're altering their migration routes, and they're altering their nesting habitat, and that kind of without doing any real science work, <laughs> kind of reaffirmed a thought that's been rattling around in my head. You know, the, the fear-mongering that goes on as it applies to climate change is, is just ridiculous. Like, oh, we're going to kill the planet. We're going to, you know, this is going to happen. What happens if the ice, all the ice, you know, the seawater rises and the climate, the, 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 this and that and the other thing? Yeah, it changes. Well, the earth is always changing. I know it seems like a lazy argument, but not that 
distant history, 10,000 years ago, there was like giant glaciers everywhere that covered half of the earth. So my brain is always like, okay, when it comes to polar bears or snow geese, Canada geese and ducks that nest in the tundra and cranes and all these other migrating species, right? Like what are they going to do if things drastically change? Well, what has always nagged me in the back of my mind is then if you put all that aside and you start looking at, it's like they almost contradict themselves in a way. So if you go to these ice core data that they have, and this is kind of where they're getting their climate change stuff, and you look at the graph of these drastic rise, rises and falls in temperature, like it looks like the Cascades or the Sawtooths, like it's just up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, just drastic changes frequently throughout Earth's history. And in fact, it's only in the last 10,000 years where it's been relatively stable, which is not, again, going back to those ice cores, that's not normal for Earth's history as, as far as we know it using the technology that we have now. So then if you take another science, and let's take, um, uh, I guess I don't know what the, it wouldn't necessarily be paleontology, but it, it might be. Um, just look at like the species that are alive today that if you ask a scientist, you know they're going to be like, oh, this species is a million years old, or this species is 700,000 years old, going off of fossil records or whatever. It's like, okay. Well, overlay that species' existence on top of the Earth's climate graph, and you're going to see these wild climate fluctuations, and those species are still here. Wouldn't that tell you that, duh, obviously animals adapt? It just... To me, that seems fairly obvious. Like, just because the climate change, I don't like, and I've mentioned this before that humans were, we think very static. Like, however we find it, that's like how it's supposed to be in perpetuity. Like, should never change. There should always be this. And I've gone on my rant about Isle Royal before because they do the wolves and the moose study there to the point that when wolves leave, they leave when they want to. And then they're like, nope, get back here. And if they're supposed to be studying this natural phenomenon, but they're unnaturally manipulating the dynamic and it used to be there used to be caribou on that island and lynx and then for whatever reason it switched to moose and wolves because it because nature changes like that whether it's climate or resources or whatever um but anyways it i would love to see somebody do a graph and maybe i need to do it but i know that's not gonna happen so somebody out there some scientists get on this i want to see the overlay of like a polar bear because that's the that's always the poster child right of climate change is the polar bear you find the one old sickly starving polar bear and you take a picture of him on an ice floe and you're like oh, ice caps are melting well listen they don't get all their food from the ocean polar bears go up and they just raid wipe out entire uh snow goose colonies uh eating all their eggs you know and you can imagine how many eggs a polar bear could eat when it wants to. Um, I'm not saying there's obviously anything wrong with that, but it's just natural selection and that's what bears do. But the polar bears roam on land too. Like it's, they're just on the ice eating seals. They're very adaptable. And I assume in eras of warm weather, if they don't have seals, they're going to go for something else. And maybe you do have a couple some populations or individual bears or whatever that kind of become seal specialists and maybe they can't get to those seals as readily. Well, those ones will die off. But then you have some polar bears that are more apt to uh, prey on caribou and snow geese and other, you know, inland things, muskox or whatever, you know, Um, humans. Polar bears are known to attack and eat humans. I just heard a recent or read a recent story of some guy up there in in, in, uh, Nunavut. I think I'm always butchering that name. Um, Some dude got half eaten. You know, it's like, dang, that's just crazy Uh, to think that that's still going on. 
and absolutely is still going on. But again, just overlay like the length that this species has been on Earth with the climate up and down. It pretty much shoots a hole through the fear-mongering for climate change. It also kind of makes my brain go to, and I've brought this up on Waterfall Wednesday. So a snow goose, a lesser snow goose has two color phases. You have the, the stereotypical white, all white with the black tipped wings and then you have the blue phase which are suit those things are just they're super cool looking and they're but they're genetically they're the same species uh, they're not a hybrid it's like well what is and over the years and this could be completely well it is completely anecdotal because i haven't kept a log and i haven't taken actual population studies but when i started snow goose hunting whatever 20 years ago whatever it is now um you know, blues were still, I wouldn't say rare, but it was still a cool thing to shoot one. Well, it's very common now. Like, it's not, like, I feel like there's more blues now than there was when I started. Maybe that's not true. I can't, I cannot back that up. Again, it's just my personal observations and anecdotes. Maybe I just became hyper aware of them, and that's why I think that that's possible too. But my theory, my theory is this. Going off of evolution, why would they have a blue face? Like, if this is an Arctic breeding goose, and obviously the white protects them as camouflage, probably when they're on, you know, nesting and they're sitting still and having, you know, being surrounded by white, they're going to blend in more. So, you know, being white uh, during the summer is not advantageous because you stick out like a sore thumb, but then they're flying, you know by that time and they're mobile and the whole winter when they're down you know when they're uh, why they migrate so far that's they, they stick out when they're in the south you know there's no snow they're not blending in so i assume that that white is a camouflage uh trait that has evolved to protect them while they're on their nesting grounds and sitting on their nest well what would the blue phase to me seems counterintuitive unless there is some code hidden in their DNA that as climate changes and maybe climate warms and there's less and less snow and maybe they have some springs and nesting where there is no snow or patchy snow, well, wouldn't that make sense then a blue goose that has some dark and some white still would be a better camouflage than an all white. And if our climate is warming, that would make sense. Then that kind of unlocks that maybe average global temperature, unlocks some genetic code within their DNA to start pumping out more blue geese. Or the other thing is, it's just simple um, natural selection. So as I stated, if a all-white goose on a barren landscape with no snow is going to stick out and they're trying to breed, well, those ones are getting jacked. Whereas if it's a female blue goose sitting on some nest and it's better camouflage because it's patchy snow or no snow, those ones are living to pass on those genes and just more blue geese are in the population that way. That's that's possible too. Both things are possible. I personally prefer the genetic code uh, hypothesis because it's just more fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's the bottom line. I think that's uh, just more fun. But anyways, that's kind of my rant when it comes to the climate change. It's like I don't even really deny that climate change is happening. I do deny that it's all man's fault. I do definitely deny that we're all going to die because of it. Um, there's something I haven't gone down this rabbit hole yet, but here's another thing you can do on your own uh, reconnaissance is warmer temperatures, more CO2, but the earth is greener now than it's been in a long, 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 long time in our modern-day record-keeping anyways, which makes sense if you think about it because what do plants breathe? Carbon dioxide. They don't breathe oxygen. They produce oxygen. So wouldn't it stand to reason that if there's more CO2 in the air that they would, they'd have more food and there would be more green? Like... They call it the greenhouse effect. You ever been in a dry, dead greenhouse? I don't think so. It's not how that works. So it's like, oh, you mean there's going to be more food growing for us? 
and you're worried about, you know, and then they go, yeah, but that could drive us back into an ice age. I'm like, okay, well, that ice age is more the norm for the earth than not. And that is earth's history. So we shouldn't be worried about global warming. We need to worry about global cooling. That's, you know, that actually, you start getting way longer winters and shorter growing seasons. Now you are going to have a food problem. That's what you got to worry about. But even that. Okay, there was a time when stuff was covered in glaciers. Somehow fish survived. Somehow all this stuff survived. If animals can adapt, people are just going to have to learn to adapt. And that's, and that is just that. So with that, that's, uh, that's the end of my rant on climate change. Take that information. Do with it what you will. <sighs> yeah, if you're down in the Northwest uh, Sportsman Show this weekend, uh, hunt me down. Come say hi. And with that, I'm going to leave you with this. Whatever your passion, pursue it full scale.